Is Stephen awake now? Just check. Well, Merry Christmas. Now that everyone's awake. Well, I can promise you we will not cover everything today that I want to cover. That's just the way it is. But I hope we can at least again capture a handful of truth and blessing that God has for us out of the passages we're looking at today. So Larry read from us for us from Luke 2. So if you want to go back to Luke 2, and we've been looking at, at God making the announcement of his son's approach uh, to Joseph and of Joseph's willingness and readiness even to sacrifice his own reputation for the, for the sake of his intended bride. But of God calling him, no, don't put her aside. This comes from the Holy Spirit. And of Joseph accepting that calling. And of the Holy Spirit uh, sending Gabriel. And Gabriel speaks to Mary. And Mary receives it. She says, you know, may it be done to me according to your word. She is ready both to believe and to receive and accept and, and move with the things that God is doing. And we've seen the shepherds as they were brought in on this amazing celebration. Um, and just for me personally, every time I read about the, the shepherds, I just picture that scene and it always moves me. That here were just a, a group of normal guys out doing their job in the night. And suddenly God decided to this little group of normal guys. And they're going to hear the most amazing news happening on planet earth for all of its history up until the death and resurrection of Christ. They're going to hear this most amazing news. And I'm going to send a whole choir of angels to announce it to them. And they go to Bethlehem and they find out that everything the angels said was true. And we didn't read the story, but we also have wise men. We have wise men who studied the skies and saw the sign of, of a coming king. And they traveled across miles and miles to go worship. And that's how it puts it. They came to worship this king. They didn't just come to give honor to, to royalty. They came to worship this king. And the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that we already sang about this morning were just small tokens of that worship. So on and on, this story is filled with, with the majesty of God saying, I'm celebrating the arrival of my son, and I want to stir up a lot of willing hearts to celebrate with me. And now here we are after Jesus has been born. He has now arrived. And we have this moment where Mary is coming into the temple. And it says that they brought uh, two turtle doves. And if you went back and looked at Leviticus 12, two turtle doves being brought for her sanctification after the process of giving birth is just the simple acknowledgement that Joseph and Mary were poor. Uh, if they'd been better off, if they'd been well-to-do, they would have brought a lamb. The fact that they brought two turtle doves, under the law, that was reserved for the poor. So here's Mary and Joseph coming poor, but honoring the word of God. And they're bringing baby Jesus. 
He's already been named Jesus, the name that means God is salvation. And it can also be interpreted, interpreted, interpreted. That's a Texas way of saying that word. Interpreted as God's salvation. And so they're bringing Jesus to the temple. And we have here the story of Simeon. And I, I like what it says here. Luke 2, verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This man was devoted to God. It, it wasn't simply that he believed in God. It wasn't simply that he was religious. He was devoted. His life, and even the, the New Testament puts it this way, in a way that challenges you and I in our devotion to God, where we have in Romans 12:1 that we bring our lives a living sacrifice. And we talked about that in Sunday school this morning, that we bring our lives alive. God does not need another death sacrifice because Jesus took care of that. He accomplished it and fulfilled it perfectly. But this man's life was devoted to God. And God told him a secret. Listen to this. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So I don't know how old he was. Does it say anywhere? I don't think it does. That he knew until Messiah comes, I'm not dying. I have it directly from God himself until Messiah comes, I'm not dying. And there he is in the temple and the Holy Spirit reveals to him, this baby is what I promised you. And then he speaks this beautiful prophecy over Jesus. He took him into his arms and blessed God and said in verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. But then Simeon adds this. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So that Simeon is, is not only saying, this is the Messiah. This is the consolation, the comfort, the hope of Israel that prophet after prophet after prophet in the Old Testament told us to look for. And God promised me I wouldn't even die until I saw him. And here he is. But then God adds this layer of, of revelation and prophecy. His life will not be easy. He will be a focus of opposition. So here's the son of God on planet earth, the reigning king over the throne of David. And that's what was promised to Mary. Your son will be the son of the most high. Your son will be the son of God. Your son will sit on the throne of David forever. And if you're a mommy, that sounds like good stuff. That's even better than becoming a doctor or a lawyer. King of the universe forever. But now Simeon's adding the other side of the coin to this. And he's saying his life will be a focus of intense opposition to the point that it breaks your heart, Mary. You will see things 
that put a sword through your heart in the life of your son. And I, I cannot help but think that the Holy Spirit in revealing that was already looking to the moment when Mary would stand at the cross, literally stand at the cross and watch her son crucified for your sins and my sins and watch her son mangled and whipped. The, the word says beyond recognition. He didn't even look like a man anymore. He had been so tortured and abused through the process of even preparing for the crucifixion. That Mary is now being told about that moment. Fortunately, not with a lot of detail. But he's saying this, this reigning king of the universe will first go through opposition. And as a mother, your heart will be broken and pierced and cut to the quick over this. So it's not all majestic news, but it's hopeful news. And let's go back up and see what Simeon had to say in this prophecy. My eyes have seen your salvation. So in this prophecy of Simeon, the first thing he's, he's saying here is, I see your salvation. I'm looking at this little baby, and I see your salvation. Presented to all peoples. So he's saying, this is going to be public. This is not a little thing done in secret for all peoples. And then he says, and a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And even though we're going to see that this was something that God had predicted all along through Messiah, so much of Israel's expectation and so much of their interpretation of the prophecy of Messiah is they were just looking for a political leader. At this point in history, many of them were looking for a semi-religious but mostly political and military leader that would come throw off the yoke of Rome and put Israel on top of the nations politically and militarily. They wanted that Messiah. And yet here's Simeon really discerning what God has prophesied all through those prophecies. That he's not just coming for Israel. He is coming for Israel. But he is also coming to bring the light of revelation. To bring salvation to the Gentiles. To all the other nations. And one thing I like about his, uh, his words here. And some of your Bibles may even show this. To a certain extent. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. Let's go back to Isaiah 52. I'm sorry, Isaiah. Well, I'm trying to erase it with my finger. That won't work. Sort of like I could with a whiteboard. But it's not. Let's go back to Isaiah 42. <laughs> Maybe it'd work better if I used my elbow. <laughs> but here we have in verse 42, and let's start at verse 1 just to get the, the context. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So God starts out this, this chapter, this portion of Isaiah, basically introducing his son. Introducing his chosen servant. And he says, behold, meet my servant. And here's what he's going to do. 
He's going to bring justice to the nations. And my soul delights in him. This, this chosen one really brings me joy and delight. He pleases me. But drop down to five. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens, stretched them out, spread out the earth and its offspring, gives breath to the people on it, spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. As he's introducing his chosen one, his servant, he's saying, this arrival, the arrival of my servant, launches really new things. And it's really interesting. Pay attention to this. He says, I will not give my glory to another. And that's going to get interesting as we look at Isaiah for a few moments to see how God constantly gives glory to Messiah, which should tell us something. Now, actually, flip over to 49 as well, Isaiah 49. Because he continues this idea in verse 5. And now says the Lord, this is Messiah speaking, by the way. If you read the whole thing, this is Messiah now speaking prophetically. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord. My God is my strength. He says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the, Redeemer of Is the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes shall also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. And we won't, we won't look at this, but Isaiah 53, which we've read many times, that points to the crucifixion of Messiah and the death of Messiah and the atoning sacrifice that Messiah will take our sins. He will take the chastisement and the, and the stripes and the punishment due us for our sins. He takes it so that we can be rescued and given life. And he alludes to that here, that he's the despised one, despised and rejected by man. So what an, an incredible contrast that God says, this is my servant in whom I am well pleased. He's majestic to me. He's delightful to me, but he's also the despised one. How tragic is that? that? That you and I get to make sure that we're on the right side of this equation, that we are agreeing with God. Father, if you're delighted in your Messiah, I want to make sure I'm wise enough to be delighted in your Messiah. Not even just to believe in him, but to be delighted in him. So that in a variety of ways, attitudes, actions, words, I don't end up despising his lordship. I delight in his lordship. So as he gives this, he goes this. Actually, go back up to verse 6 to notice this. 
I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And that recognition, let's see, let's go back to 43. We were in 42 before, now go back to 43 because we're going to need, we're going to read another thing about this one. As God is saying, I want my salvation through Messiah to reach to the ends of the earth. Start at verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant, whom I have chosen, in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I am God, even from eternity. I am he. And, and the beauty of this, of Isaiah, and I'm glad that Simeon referred to Isaiah. So we go back to Isaiah and we see that Isaiah is the one who said, Messiah will be a light to the nations. And right there in, my, in Isaiah, God is saying, I alone save. I alone am the Savior. And then again, that gets our attention when he starts saying things about Messiah. Go to chapter 42. I'm sorry, 44. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I hope you caught that. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. That the wording there, there's two people speaking here. The Lord God, Jehovah, King of Israel, he's speaking. And the Redeemer is speaking. The Savior is speaking. I am the first. I am the last. There is no God beside me. Drop down to eight. Is there any God beside me? Is there any other rock? I know of none. So here in the very declarations of oneness, the, the oneness of God, God is messing with language. And we, and we have the integrity of, of the Jewish uh, scribes through centuries that had to keep writing it the way it was delivered. That even if they didn't comprehend it, they kept diligently keeping it the way God spoke it. That the Lord and His Redeemer are saying, just one God, it's me and there is no other. Flip over to 45. There's a whole series of them here. In verse 5 of 45. I am the Lord, and there is no other beside me. Besides me, there is no God. Drop down to six. There is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Drop over to 15, I mean to 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Drop down to 21. And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. Now, we can go back. Let's, in fact, let's do it right now. Let's go back to Matthew. When, when the angel is speaking 
that Joseph, as he gets the amazing news, in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, He's just told Joseph that the child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he says, so she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And actually, I I cut it short just for time. We could have kept going to several other passages in Isaiah that talk about the fact that there is one God and one Savior. And now here's the angel saying, this child is the Savior. That's amazing. And, and everybody in the room, pretty much, almost, maybe, already believes that. But every now and then, we should stop and be amazed that the God of the universe has revealed himself for thousands of years to Israel, and he's, he's repeated over and over. In fact, a lot of their discipline as a nation was to get them to stop looking for a multitude of gods and to, and to focus their vision and clarify their faith and their choice that there is one God and only one God. And now that same God in prophecy before Jesus was ever born said, I'm the only Savior And now I'm speaking to you along with my Redeemer, my Savior, my buying back one. He and I together say, one God. And now here's the angel saying, this baby born is that Savior. This baby born comes to save people from their sins. Now, one of the things that's I really gave you a whole lot of scriptures on this pad. I need to get a a sermon secretary. I I really do. (laughs) Somebody just goes, oh, he said that verse, I'll write it down. Um, But one of the things that we see through these verses, again, is a consistency that God breaks the mold and the expectation of human mind and human religion and human limitations to say, I'm doing something new that, that you never would have conceived of if I didn't reveal it to you. I am the living God, there is no other, and now here I am on planet Earth laying in a manger, and you can call this baby every Christmas. I love reading this. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9. This is literally, truly, my favorite Christmas passage, and it's out of the Old Testament. Starting in verse 6, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Here's the name of a baby, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David, just like was promised to Mary. And over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So again, when God says, I'm doing a new thing, and now he's talking about a baby being born, a child, a son being given, and he says, you're going to be able to call this child mighty God. You're going to be able to call this child eternal father. Why? 
Because I myself will accomplish it. By my own zeal, my own passion as God, I will accomplish this. You can count on it. It's going to happen. So there's, there's a number of places in Scripture where God says, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm putting my whole heart into this. And this is one of the most majestic. I'm accomplishing the salvation of mankind as I come to the earth in my son on planet earth as a child. Now, one of the things that we, we touched again on, a whole bunch of you were at Sunday school this morning. Um, I would wish that all of you could be. Well, let's go to Matthew. Now, actually, I screwed this up before. It's Matthew 17. Yes, it is. It's Matthew 17. Okay, let's go to Matthew 17. Pardon? Between 4 and 6. That's right. Matthew 17. But we're looking at verse 5, which happens to be between 4 and 6. And if you'd been at Sunday school, you'd know the background of that joke. And this is at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John have gone up with Jesus. And, and Jesus has been transformed right before them. They have seen him in, in all of his resurrected glory, transformed before them, majestic. And Moses and Elijah with Jesus. And they're talking together. And, and the disciples are just blown away. And, and they're talking instead of being amazed, they're talking. At least Peter is. Peter's talking, we need to build three tabernacles up here. One for each of you, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And basically, um, God is just sort of like, settle down, Peter. In verse 5, he says, while he was still speaking, Peter, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And it's a gentle but, but firm focus that, that God is saying, I've just revealed to you three people the full majesty of who my son is. You have seen him in his resurrected glory. And Peter, instead of coming up with your own plans, listen to his plan. And Peter will. Peter will grow in his faithfulness, and Peter will one day die for Jesus. First, he will deny him, but one day he will die for him. So Peter will grow in listening to Jesus. And now turn over to, let me make sure I get it right too, because I kept switching these two things. Luke 6. And now we're at verse 46. Luke 6, 46. And this is Jesus. And he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This should break our hearts. <laughs> Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And every one of us have had that moment. Every single one of us, that's why he had to die for us. Every single one of us have had that moment where the Holy Spirit spoke to us, where the Word of God got our attention, where we knew what to do, 
And as Paul says, I knew the right thing to do. I even wanted to do it, but I did the wrong thing. That's the moment Jesus is talking about. Not just for unbelievers, but even for us as believers. That lordship is about a choice. Lordship is not just about theoretical honor. But he's saying, if you're calling me Lord, get this, get this into, your, into our heads. Get this into our hearts and our minds. Get this into our fingers and our mouth and our feet. That if I call you Lord, help me to listen to your voice and then do the things you say. And Jesus gives a real good encouragement and a warning right after that. Continuing after verse 46 into 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words. That was my moment when my voice cracked and I sort of went backwards. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. I will show you who he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. Laid a firm foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred... The torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And obviously, as Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, for you and I, that recognition that we're not just looking at a baby in a manger, we're looking at the Lord God of the universe. We're now saying to that baby grown up to die for my sins and be my Lord, I'm going to do what you say in this area of my life. In, my, in how I handle money, in this area of my life, of how I handle a difficult moment, in this area, how I handle temptation, in this area, how I handle marriage or family or friends, in this area, how I handle hardship and discouragement, in this area, that we're looking at area after area and we decide, I want to build my house on a firm foundation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And and I hope we recognize that's what Jesus is talking about. He's not just talking about building on the belief. He's saying, I'm talking to my disciples. You've already believed in me. Now build a strong house on my Lordship. And then he gives the caution. But the one who's heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. You know, one of the things that Carrie and I and Aaron, we notice frequently, we've talked about frequently, is at Christmas, if we're watching Christmas movies, even Hollywood is occasionally willing to honor baby Jesus. Precious Lord, baby Jesus. But Hollywood will definitely not choose Lord Jesus dying on the cross and then resurrected to be Lord of the moment, to be Lord of the words, Lord of the actions, Lord of the attitudes, Lord of the relationships, Lord of behavior. And, and what God is cautioning is he says, even for a believer, you build your home, you build your, you build your house on the wrong foundation, meaning not my lordship, and that, that house will come crashing down. It's inevitable. And we could tell stories. I bet 90% of the people in the room could tell the story of some area of your life that you saw come crashing down Not as punishment. Well, God just zapped me and punished me. No, it came crashing down because I built it on the foundation of lordship in me. I did it my way. 
I, I know I've mocked poor Frank Sinatra before, but every time I hear that song, I'm serious. I grieve for Frank Sinatra when I hear him singing, I did it my way. Because that's the mindset of glory and honor in the world. I did it my way. And then it came crashing down. And what Jesus is saying is, even if it's against hardship, because again, there's a storm attacking this house. But what he's saying is, if it's built on my lordship, it'll stand the test. Your life built on my lordship will withstand the opposition of the enemy. And so, whether we've been Christians for decades, or whether, or whether you happen to be a brand new Christian who's just been a Christian for a few months or a few years, this is a crucially important truth for life. I let Jesus be Lord. We talked quite a bit in Sunday school that that means I have to learn to listen to his voice. And this is a voice that loves me. This is not a harsh condemning voice. But sometimes it's a really hard voice to hear. Because I don't want to surrender to his lordship. I want to do it my way. And then I want to be proud of what I built. And I want to pat myself on the back for what I built. 10,000 times I've said this, I think, in the years I've been preaching here. On planet Earth, there is no... Well, anywhere in the universe, because that's all there is. It's the universe. There is no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. So whatever gifts you brought to that effort, whatever intelligence, whatever talents, whatever ability, whatever opportunities, you built that business. It wasn't a village. It was the gifting of God. God gifted you with those moments and those opportunities and those skills and those talents. And that gets to be part of our wisdom is, Father, everything I have that's effective came from you, but I can make it ineffective by operating outside your lordship. So as we go into this Christmas season, I, I hope we really do enjoy everything about the celebration. I hope we enjoy the dinners. I hope we enjoy giving gifts and receiving gifts. Carrie and I several years ago said, we're going to stop giving gifts to each other except for stocking stuffers because it was just too stressful. But, but we still get gifts for, for other people. And now we know we've got everything we need if she needs something, let's just go get it. But what we do is stocking stuffers. I'm not telling you this because you have to do it our way. Um, because that's fun stuff. It's just pure fun stuff. I don't have to worry, will that sweater fit her? I don't have to worry, will that dress make her look fat? I don't, I don't have to worry about that stuff. It's just, I bought her some fun stuff and it all goes in the stocking. And vice versa. Enjoy all those things. Enjoy sleeping late. How many people here will get to sleep late on, on Christmas morning? How many people here don't have a single prayer of being able to sleep late? <laughs> yeah, okay. Children in the house. Okay, we sleep late on Christmas in my home. But, yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to... <laughs> I'm sorry that I sang that back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Using the word sing loosely. But enjoy all of those things. But every time we look at a manger scene, I really am serious. 
That every time we look at a manger scene, every time we look at a Christmas tree, every time we enjoy the lights, that we also pause frequently to say, this moment was about the Lord of the universe coming to planet Earth to save me, and I've decided He's my Lord. And now the day will look different if He's my Lord. The words coming out of my mouth will be different because He's my Lord. The way I treat my best friend or my worst enemy will be different because he's my Lord. The things I bring my mind to and spend my time and effort in will be different because he's my Lord. And here's another thing. As people watch my life, they won't, bore, they won't be thinking, wow, Reg is you know, just trudging along under the heavy burden of Jesus' Lordship. What they should say is, why is that guy so joyful? That's really what they should see in you and I. That there is joy and freedom and celebration in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Christmas is just the tip of the iceberg. That we're comprehending this Lord brings life. And he brings it more abundantly. He doesn't bring prison. He brings life. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you that your word is true. And, and again, Father, it's, it's humbling but true. We barely scratch the surface of, of all the treasure you have to share with us. But Father, I pray that, that the little treasure we might have been able to gather today, that every one of us would determine to run with it. To run fast and hard after the truths that you share with us. To look hard at our life and choices, Father, not for guilt, not for shame, not for condemnation, not for drudgery, not for image, not for pride, not for a pat on the back from another human being, not so that someone will be impressed, but so that we love you and worship you and honor you as true Lord in our choices, that we worship you here together and then we worship you for the next seven days by the choices we make. And Father, you know us. You, and you say this in your word. You know that we're weak. You know that we're but grass. You know that we have nothing in ourselves that is capable of this new life, which is why you provided what we need. So Father, I pray that our faith would include this, that we're not worshiping a Lord who's gone to heaven and sits far away. Father, help us to truly comprehend this. That you have exchanged our sin for the life and righteousness of Christ dwelling within us. That this is the true secret of the Christian life. Jesus is in me. Abiding in me. And that each of us would own that truth so that we stop using ourselves as the reason why we can't grow. We stop pointing to ourselves as the reason we're stuck where we are. That we find joy in being able to celebrate and agree with you, Father, that your son is enough, powerfully and abundantly enough for new life, new direction. That we've been buried in Christ and raised to new life. And Father, again, practically everybody in this room believes these things. Now help us to go put feet to these things. And help us to pursue that with joy. Thank you for this freedom. Thank you for this power. Thank you for this calling and the equipping.
to do what pleases you, Father, because your son who always pleased you now lives in us. Help us to comprehend these things, to choose them and to live them. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.